right, welcome everybody to the Boys in the 90s podcast. My name is Nate. I'm Bob. And Bob, I want to share with you this commercial and see what you think about it. Attention consumers, certain portable gaming systems are being dressed up in order to distract the buyer from their ordinary one-color play. What could be next? Little flower print dresses, black leather restraining devices, fresh baked (laughs) olive oil. Don't be fooled. Get Sega Game Gear. Basic black on the outside, hundreds of exciting full-color games radiating from the inside, and we promise no sleazy little get-ups that scream, Hello, big boy, get Game Gear. Sega! That was so odd. You know, there is something to be said for Sega's early 1990s marketing. Yeah. And it, in its brilliance. It was so absurd. And I love the comedy shared between both Nintendo and Sega during that whole time. It was just, let's create some loud explosion of like random comedy and we'll see where it goes. You know, I watched that documentary I was talking about, Console Wars. Yeah. It's on Paramount Plus, any of you out there that might have Paramount Plus. But they actually had people that were in charge of Sega and Nintendo of America during that time period. But they had the marketing guys that they hired, Sega did. And they had them in this documentary. <laughs> and and they were just like, we're just throwing stuff at the wall. We'll see what sticks. Like, let's have fun with it and just go off off the rails, basically. But well, you had a Game Boy. I had a Game Gear. I never had a Game Boy, but I did get a Game Gear for one Christmas. Me and my brother both got them. And I mean, it was kind of fun. The thing, the batteries were terrible. Yeah, because it, it ran full color video games the, the entire time. And Game Boy only had like the like lime green and dark green that it would show. And then they had, well, the Game Gear had all these add-ons. If I remember this thing, this, this is going to date all of us. And it had the this adapter you could put in the game slot and it had a big antenna that came up and it, you could watch TV on your game gear. I never had it. I was always looking for it back when I kind of thrift hunted more. And I had the Sonic game for Game Gear was pretty good. And then they I had a Madden game. And I remember distinctly there was one play you could run on this Madden game and you would score every time. So that's all I did. <laughs> Nothing like cheating the system. Exactly. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, I remember, um, I do remember that add-on. It was like competing with the Sony Watchmen. Uh-huh. Because that, like, that was like the big thing was watching TV on the go. But it's like results may vary. It wasn't very reliable. No. Hey, although watching that commercial now just makes me think of the Simpsons episode when, well, it's Malibu Stacy, but she's got a hat now. Right? Because <laughs> right. all it is, it's still a Game Boy. It just comes in a fun color. Like, who cares? It's still a Game Boy. Like, you still need, you can't play it in the dark. You have to have that, like, light that comes down on it. Or you had that big, that big magnifying glass thing like, that you could put on top of it so you weren't, like, straining your eyes yeah. so much. But that wasn't backlit? No, the Game Boy, no. If it was backlit. Oh, no, no, I mean, I meant I'm I'm the, the Game, Game Gear. Gear. Yeah, the Game Gear was. I'm pretty okay, sure. Okay, that's that's another that's another reason why the batteries would die like instantaneously almost. Yeah, I ran through a lot. Now that I think about it, I don't know I don't know how much I actually played mine with batteries. I think I stuck to plugging it into the wall a lot. Yeah. Which Game Boy was the same thing. Which is what you want to do when you have a portable gaming system is find somewhere with a plug and you know, 
play it that way, not because you could do that in a car. Yeah. Well, today, Bob, we're talking about the year in movies. It's uh, 1990. I'm 10 years old at that point. Well, nine, nine or 10. I was saying you were, you were nine going on 10. Right. Because your birthday is in December. So yep. I would have been turning nine in 1990. And, oh, on my ninth birthday is when I got my first two pairs of glasses. Ooh. So I, I didn't have to wear glasses up until I turned nine. And boy, that's a that's a formative experience. I still have to wear them and I hate them. Probably misses his old glasses. But also 1990. I think you might we might have watched this one day when you still lived in town. I have the VHS tape mm. of SummerSlam 1990. Nice. Because it was on my birthday that year. And I think it was was it Hogan? I don't know if it was Hogan Warrior or it was Hogan Earthquake, but we had Texas Tornadoes on that. <laughs> Good times. No Red Rooster? No. No, I don't think the Red <laughs> Rooster made that, that pay-per-view. I missed that guy. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, movies. I mean, we love them. I, I think you watched a lot more than I did um, in different varieties at least i i was more stuck to animation and pg movies being yet young i i had a more liberal experience with what i saw right for good and for bad i think the reason why i got so into movies later on was because of the repressed <laughs> inability to watch you had to catch up on everything you missed exactly so i witnessed a lot more of these movies later on in in like my twenties and stuff, you know, just to, just to touch on some of the movies that came out that year, we had misery, the really cool movie, Jacob's ladder, freaking good fellas, like cry baby, John Waters, cry baby came out that year. Ernest goes to jail. Uh, do you have a favorite Ernest movie? Uh, Ernest goes to camp. Wasn't bad. Mm, I think mine's Ernest takes Halloween. I don't remember that one. It's got trolls and stuff, and the trolls are defeated by milk. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Speaking of trolls, Troll 2 came out this year, Ooh. which was the, um, if you want to see a great documentary, the best worst movie. I'm not familiar, but I also see on the list you have what at the time was Top Gun Part 2, but it's not really Top Gun, but it follows the same plot lines of Top Gun, which is Days of Thunder. Oh, right. Yeah. Same actor it's basically the same thing right except you're just in daytona or wherever they were nascar nascar well no nascar is like the league right yeah yeah but then wasn't like daytona like the race or well daytona is one race amongst the many that they do oh so it's like a circuit that they yeah bring their, their car around Right. Uh, and, you know, it features, I mean, it's got a great cast. You get Tom Cruise, you got Robert Duvall, hmm. Randy Quaid before he went absolutely bat guano crazy. <laughs> Nicole Kidman, I think this is where they met hmm. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Oh, Problem Child. I love Problem Child. Didn't we have a friend that was really into Problem Child? Yeah, me. <laughs> okay. Other than you, I no, I, I don't know. I thought I remember oh. a certain person we know whose name starts with a B, and liked it, liked Depeche Mode before we did. Was really into Problem Child, but I I, I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean it was it was around at the time. 
but great casts. I mean, John Ritter, right? Yeah. And um, nobody can remember the kid's name. <laughs> oh, Michael Oliver. That's who he is. Gilbert Gottfried's in that. I forgot. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much more to touch up on. There was Dark Man was really cool. Dark Man, Dark Man's good. Yeah. I have never seen Tremors, but it's a classic. You've never seen Tremors? Oh. I haven't. I saw Tremors in the theater. That's a great flick. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's funny, there's a lot of people there's a lot of people in these movies on this list that just passed away. Yeah. Like James Kahn mm-hmm. and Fred Ward, who's in Tremors with Kevin Bacon. Mm. He just passed away. No, this is a this is a good I mean, this was a good year for the most part. You've got well, my person, you know, a soft spot for me, which we were talking about before the show started, which is Hunt for Red October. Yeah. And then the Jetsons movie. I saw the Jetsons at a double feature with Fern Gully at the, at this old movie theater in Bakersfield. That's random. Yeah. And this will probably be the first of many Bakersfield references I make hmm. in this episode. And because some of these have to do with Bakersfield. Yeah, there's just so many. Like one of the biggest movies that year that came out was Dance with with Wolves. I've never seen it, but it's, it's revered. It's won tons of awards because it's really good. You just it's a it's a time commitment. I mean, it's not as long as say Zack Snyder's Justice League, <laughs> but it's a long flick, and so it's not as long as Justice League, but it also doesn't have the whiz bang where it keeps moving. It's very much like an epic. It's in that style. I don't think Kevin Costner's for me, honestly. That's probably just it. Oh, see, there's a lot of Kevin Costner stuff I like. Really? Like Tin Cup? I love Tin Cup. Really? Tin Cup, yes. Yes. Every every time. Okay, so we're going to get real random here. Every time I have to go, like, take a test or something for either, you know, my job or whatever, I always walk in and I sit down and... I think of Kevin Costner getting ready to putt in Tin Cup, and all he says is dollar bills. And every time I sit down, I'm like, dollar bills. <laughs> but I mean, he's Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, Waterworld's not as bad as everyone makes it out to be. But I'll give you The Untouchables. So that was a great flick. This is in the 90s, but he does a great job as Jonathan Kent, Superman's dad in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Okay. No, there's uh, for the love of the game. There's a '90s Kevin Costner. He's really good in sports movies. I think that's his niche. He's really good in sports movies. Right, message in a bottle. <laughs> that's another thing. I worked at a blockbuster when like three came out in the same year that I had no interest in. It was message in a bottle for love of the game and play it to the bone. Oh, and I'm like, I don't know. It, it just I I couldn't connect with whatever he was going through so but yeah anyways he, he starred in dance of the wolves um, which won best picture the best director cinematography sound and writing from another medium so it really blew out the the oscars for 91 ghost that year won for the best supporting actress whoopi goldberg i hadn't seen ghost until i was like in my mid-30s that's a late bloomer to to the to the ghost and then I had to mention the best original song in the Oscars what went to Sooner or Later, I Always Get My Man by Stephen Sondheim, sang by Madonna. It, it's almost like she tried to class up her, her roles from previous characterizations of Madonna. Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, not too long after this, 
she was in Dick Tracy, she did Body of Evidence with, I think, Willem Dafoe. And that was just basically basic instinct with Madonna. Yeah, well, I mean, but that's, but, but for that it, movie, I felt like oh, yeah. she was trying to like no, class herself up a bit. Like, yeah, it was a step up from Desperately Seeking Susan. I will give you that. Yeah. Or, uh, what is it? Shanghai Surprise, the one which she did with Sean Penn. Right. Uh, but I see that you, you also, so it beat out Blaze of Glory by John Bon Jovi right i mean to me to me that's such a much more memorable song oh it is it is i think i think she got that one because it's a sondheim song and sondheim is an insanely famous broadway songwriter and then you're up against john bon jovi on the edge of a cliff at a drive-in talking about blaze of glory (laughs) (laughs) call me call me young gun so i yeah i i like that note which because yes, Blaze of Glory is superior. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not even that big of a John Bon Jovi fan, but it's like at the same time, it's much more <laughs> memorable. You know, I noticed. Yeah. Just a just a preview of what's coming up of our top three movies that both of us picked. Neither one of us picked Home Alone. Home Alone is such a '90s kid movie, right? Because yeah. we were. We're the same age as Macaulay Culkin, right? And do you remember, because you were there, I think, I'm almost positive. Do you remember going to see Home Alone in the theater? Oh, yeah, definitely. Did we do that as a class? No, we did that. For my birthday? (laughs) No, it was for somebody else's birthday. I believe his name was Joe, and it's not Joe G that we mentioned on a previous episode. This was a... Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Right, this was a one-year wonder kid at our school named Joe. One-year wonder. One-year wonder. We had lots of those. Remember, he used to, like, sit in class and roll up paper balls and throw (laughs) them at people saying he was firing Patriot missiles? He was a special kind of guy. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, that's when I I saw Home Alone. Okay. And I think you were there. That was a really awkward... That was an awkward sleepover. That's all I remember is... It was the first time at his place. I remember that he had just a bunch of different stuff that I had never had experience with. He was into like RC cars and like so a lot of other stuff. But yeah, definitely we saw that movie with him. And yeah, like for me, Home Alone, it's such a touchstone of the 90s and for just being a kid at that time. So some of these movies we're going to talk about. I've watched with my kids and home alone. I think out of the three, it really only grabbed the boy the most. I think that's because of all the stuff that happens towards the end, you know, where he, he locks himself in the house and has all the, the Rube Goldberg traps. But right. when it comes to like them getting on the plane and all of that stuff, I don't think it resonates with them at all because they don't know that life. And like, I remember, and then I'm sure this might come up in another episode, but like home alone too, when he had the talk boy, like that was mind-blowing yeah and they see that and they're just like "Eh." it's like no no you don't understand how cool the talk boy was and how much of a big deal was it if you had one or knew someone that had one (laughs) yeah they used to do this in shows like they would introduce new technology and you'd be like how do i get one of those or uh, you know they'd really boost the marketability of those let's not let's not because we technically can't get into this one because it's a it's an eighties movie, but The Wizard, nineteen eighty nine is The Wizard. Oh yeah, yeah, which is the biggest product placement film of all time, and you know you have the big reveal at the end with Super Mario Brothers. 
<laughs> and of course, this kid who's never seen this game in his life, none of us had at that point, was apparently a wizard at it. Right. No pun intended there. He like he knows where the magic flute is. And somehow the other kids looking at you, Fred Savage, and the girl that plays bass, Sleater Kenny, I think. That was another movie I watched. I, I had the kids watch because every usually when it's all three of them are during COVID, we me and Mrs. Bob will just I'll just have to start calling her a name, which is Michelle. We would find these movies we watched when we were kids and we'd show them to our kids. And sometimes they'd get it, sometimes they wouldn't. And there might be one on this list that we'll have to talk about. But Wizard was one of them. But yeah, Home Alone, they don't really, you know, like, because they're like, well, how does that happen now? Because everybody's got a phone and you can track where everybody is. And how could you leave without a kid? And now the real question, and I've seen this pop up in, in the meme world, is how did Kevin's dad afford that house, that trip? Like, yeah. what did he do for work? Yeah, he had like 17 kids. Like, uh, Macaulay Culkin was just one of them. <laughs> and yeah, just going on a, on, a, on a random trip with all the kids, like being out of school. Yeah, why not? Like, just take them on a vacation. Hey, Fuller, lay off the Pepsi. The rubber sheets are packed. <laughs> There's so many quotable lines. My my favorite, of course, is the uh, the fake movie that was playing in the background. The, the one that's like... Angels with Dirty Faces? Exactly, yeah. What was the line? The uh, the dirty animal. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Right. I thought it was a real. When I was a kid, I thought that was a real movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Then that was the greatest thing. Was like some film is gonna like produce a film inside of a film for the film's use. Yes. Look at you go, John Hughes. You are a genius. <laughs> exactly. Too many, too many movies to mention. Honestly, I just wanted to touch on that. This was definitely the year for sequels. Uh, you had Predator Two. Look who's talking to. Another Forty Eight Hours. You had Young Guns Two, Gremlins Two. Um, you you mentioned the Rescuers Down Under. Okay, so the the ones you've listed so far, they fare usually kind of pale in comparison to their. So the original, like Predator 2 is not as good as Predator. Jamaican Predator. Right. Look Who's Talking To is more the same. Another 48 Hours, not nearly as funny. Young Guns 2, not as good, but it's got Bon Jovi. So there you go. I thought Gremlins 2 was actually a little bit better. It's been a while since I've seen Gremlins 2. I think it's just because it has so many like different characters of the Gremlins. Like they, they tried making, you know... The girl gremlin and the <laughs> the flash crazy bat. Oh, the bat gremlin was the was the absolute best thing. Like it was just this massive, like crazy looking thing. And then uh, what do you got? Die Hard two, which is okay. I like every Die Hard movie up until like the last two. I love Die Hard. Yeah, like Die Hard one is the ultimate Christmas movie. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. It's a Christmas movie. And it's way better than a Christmas story because a Christmas story is terrible. <laughs> it's so overplayed. Why do they do that block of like back to back to back Christmas story? I hate a Christmas story. Anyway, what we were talking about was the rescuers down under, which I like more than the original rescuers. And Nate knows me pretty well. I love Disneyland a lot. It's probably my favorite place to go. But the thing is, I don't like a lot of Disney movies, but I remember The Rescuers Down Under really sat well with me. And I had, oh, I want to say it was Burger King. I had a Rescuers Down Under, like some sort of kid's meal toy. 
that I thought was very cool. And then I see on here on your list, you've got Godfather three, which regarded as the worst Godfather one, uh, because it is back to the future. Three is man. I don't care for that one as much. Western they're, they're trying to reach for further plot development, I think. Right. And then <laughs> come on, cage fury <laughs> sequel to cage. Heat. <laughs> and Rocky, honestly, I've never seen the Rocky film. What? Never have. Oh my god! Okay, I've seen Rocky, Rocky two, Rocky three, Rocky four. I've never seen Rocky, Rocky V, <laughs> Rocky five. Ro- I mean, Rocky four, dude. Ivan Drago. That was pretty cute. Like I quote, I quote that movie to this day. <laughs> well, I always quote Dr. Dre whenever I'm approached with the things I've never done, and that's never have a want, never had a need. <laughs> I mean, Rocky won. The original Rocky movie is a good flick. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, I mean, for for Sylvester Stallone, it really shows uh, his acting range. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I didn't really get uh, him and Kevin Costner <laughs> kind of go in the same boat for me. I just I never really got into the action vibe, of course, because I wasn't allowed to watch that stuff for a long time so as a kid it didn't mean anything to me like rambo and all that see i'm looking at this list and i'm like man i saw a lot of these in the theater Did like you? i i saw pretty woman in the theater mm. right and i remember like i was i was eight or nine right i don't know what's going on so i'm like sitting in the theater thinking the whole time like i'm just gonna imagine this is batman 2 but i mean batman's not in it <laughs> It uh, what's funny about Pretty Woman is if you do some digging, the original script for Pretty Woman is dark, right? Because I think it's a Touchstone movie, and Touchstone's owned by Disney, mm-hmm. so they had, you know, they bring in Gary Marshall and they kind of clean it up a little bit, make it a happier ending. But the original script for Pretty Woman's dark, like she ODs, like she is full on like junkie, cross like the whole thing. Um. Hmm awakenings so i've heard of it i've never seen it i've seen it it was revered but i'm like i don't know yeah it's but i think i saw die hard 2 in the theater and again we're talking about like nine ten year old like getting into some of the stuff that i i was raised very liberally sure there was there was not a lot of restriction about what i saw right but i mean the like adult themes don't mean as much as you know to you at the time as like when you're older and you're like oh, okay i get it now right like i don't i had no idea what was going on pretty woman i didn't understand what her chosen profession was right but to this day when i'm at work sometimes i'll just look at a kid and be like pop a squat and they'll be like what and i'm like oh it's from a movie you probably haven't seen <laughs> right or <laughs> you can't forget like i went shopping and these people were mean to me and then you know they walks in and you were mean to me big mistake big huge right you know there's a musical now there's a pretty woman musical what yes i i work with one of the teachers i work with has like season tickets to like the fantasious or something and she's like there's this pretty woman one and i had to look it up and i'm like no way and yes it's a pretty woman musical they made a musical out of one of the picks I made for today. I'll get into that, but I haven't seen it. I did want to bring up um, three outliers that were more 
like original somewhat indie movies or definitely indie movies but wild at heart that's uh david lynch with Nicolas cage right and laura dern laura dern just acting a fool um <laughs> i've actually that's a lynch movie i've never seen really yeah i have yeah. I, I have seen that one actually and it's nothing like Eraserhead or you blue know, velvet blue velvet like any of those it's it's Closer to like a true romance, but very avant-garde still, like very Lynchian still. And then Slacker, I don't know if you've ever seen Slacker. Uh, Once, like a long time ago. It was revered by Kevin Smith. I mean, we followed Kevin Smith through Clerks and all the rest of his movies that he's made since, but he loved Slacker that came out in 1990. That's uh, Richard Linklater, right? Yeah. It was a huge tentpole indie movie that just, you know, it was set to prove that independent filmmakers had a spot in the theater. And it was just an odd movie. It's just never ending dialogue about nothing. And well, doesn't it, isn't it, isn't it kind of like Days of Confused where it just happens over like one day? Yeah. Or even better, it would be um, Shortcuts. You ever seen Shortcuts? That super long movie. Um, no. I mean, I've heard of it. It stars. It's notable. It's super long. And it also takes place almost like in the way like Pulp Fiction jumps from character to character. Oh, okay. Kind of like Two Days in the Valley, too. Yeah. It just, you watch it and some scenes interact with others. And so it's 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 odd. But it was notable at the time for 1990. And then I had to bring up hardware because it's one of those pivotal, you know, they played ministry in it. Of course, I have to bring it up. Um, <laughs> I hope it was work for love or every day is Halloween. No, no, it was just a, it was more the 1990, like he was trying to transition out of the synth poppy ministry. And, um, but the effects in it are so rad. It's like a, like a junk robot, death machine <laughs> and some of the ho- What's the name of my new band by the way junk robot death machine death machine yeah nice. check us out at check us out at the belly up burned <laughs> by brick i'm surprised they only play like acoustic stuff anymore <laughs> two shows one in the afternoon <laughs> uh, but yeah it's it's an awesome cyberpunk like what if this happened um you know the the technology gone bad sort of storyline i like that stuff i have to say i am not familiar with this it's it's a very indie movie but if you can sit through it's kind of odd it's like just um it's like a mad max kind of idea like where everything's everything is desolate except for like these weird robot creating i don't i I forget the exact plot but it's pretty interesting i also wanted to bring up the fact that they used to show full-blown movies on network television channels uncensored after a certain time of night. I think it was like maybe 10 or 11, but it might have been 12. And um, and you said you do remember like when they did this? V- vaguely, but at the same time, we had cable. Right. So I my memories may blend. You know, we'd have HBO for a couple months, and it would blend into... Uh, Maybe they did, but go ahead, speak on it, because it's a little hazy for me. Yeah, so I used to watch, like, late-night shows, like David Letterman and all that, 
when I couldn't sleep as a kid, I would go out to the family room where nobody was and just sort of flip on the TV for about an hour or so. And I found one night that they're just showing full blown, uh, like shoot 'em up scenes and nudity. And I was like, does the channel know that they're doing this right now? Like it was almost like a mistake. It felt like, <laughs> but it, it definitely was something that stood out in my mind on my nine year old, 10 year old mind, because I was like, huh, this is interesting. And I can't remember the, the movie that I was watching, but it was just gory. And I don't know. It was, it was a very coming of age moment for me. <laughs> That's random. I don't, yeah. I don't remember that, but at the same time, I mean, I had so many movies on VHS that, uh, it might it might all blur together for me in that aspect. What's interesting is that PBS used to do the same. They used to play very artsy movies, artsy with quotes. Yes, yes. It's okay because it's sponsored like from viewers like you. Sponsored by the Chubb Group. <laughs> <laughs> and Wayne Computer. <laughs> you know, actually, I saw a kid at school once wearing a Wayne Computer shirt. So it was a real thing. I, they definitely had the marketing down. <laughs> um, so just like the soundtrack episode, we chose three of our favorite movies at the time. And if you uh, if you want to go ahead, Bob, you could start off. All right. Well, my first pick that I did, and these again are in no order, no particular order, so there's no favoritism. I picked. Because why not? You know, and I saw this in the theater. Did you? Oh, yeah. And I remember being a kid. This was, I had quite a few Ninja Turtles at the party wagon. I was one of the blimp. Yeah. Never got the blimp, but I remember seeing this in the theater and I was being, I mean, really exciting, right? Like you watch the turtles cartoon every day, like they're going to make a movie out of it and it's going to be like a real people movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny because I just not too long. We just did the, the TMNT trilogy with, with the family. So Mm -hmm. me and Michelle and our three kids watched all three of these movies and I was watching the first one again and I'm sitting there and, and I'm watching it at age 40 and the, the middle kid, the boy is the same age I was when I saw this and watching this movie again, it is dark. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it has, it has the characters you recognize from the show. You've got your turtles. Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, Raphael. You got your Splinter. You got your Shredder. You got your April O'Neil, which the girl, God, the, the, the actress they got for April O'Neil is just annoying. She doesn't hold up all that well. And like, I like the turtle voices, but the troubled youth kid right. plot line is just weird. And I, I distinctly remember being a kid and watching this movie, you know, in the theater and it. And then at home when I got it on VHS and that kid was his name, Danny. Yeah. Danny, the, the troubled youth who keeps running away and stealing stuff. 
he's wearing a shirt and I didn't understand what it was, but then I watched it recently and I'm like, oh, that's Sid Vicious on his shirt. That's why it says Sid. Oh, yeah. Right. And I didn't get it at the time. I'm like, who is this Sid character? But yeah, no, the kid's wearing a shirt that has Sid Vicious on it. That's cool. For any, for any of you out there that might not know, Sid Vicious was the bass player for the Sex Pistols. He was accused of murdering his then girlfriend, Nancy Spungen, and he has since passed away. Uh, they made a movie out of their story called Sid and Nancy with the young Gary Oldman. It's very good if you haven't seen it. But yes, this rewatching it, it is a lot darker. And if you go from, from Turtles 1 to Turtles 2, the tonal shift of the movie is palpable. Like you can totally see it. It's the difference if you're going from Batman Returns and then you put on Batman Forever. The difference is just all over the place, right? In Turtles 1, they actually use their weapons. Turtles 2, they don't use their weapons. There was some sort of mandate that they couldn't use their weapons because parents thought the movie was too dark. And at one point, like they're offering them... (laughs) They're offering a kid like a carton of cigarettes, which watching that today, I'm like, oh, that would, hmm. there's no way, right? You couldn't get away with that today. Anything you want to do, do it. You know what I'm saying? Anything. You got any cigarettes? Regular or mental? Uh, I mean, it's got some funny parts, but it's, on the whole, it's kind of a serious flick. Like Casey Jones is... Right. Elias Cotis, Cotias, or not Cotija, that's cheese. Elias Cotias. Like, you'll see him pop up everywhere. And I remember being a kid seeing this movie, and then I would see him in other movies. And I'm like, that's Casey Jones. That's Casey Jones. That's Casey Jones. Yeah. And right, like one of the, ter- like Raphael, who's got the attitude, right? Like, he's saying, damn. Mm. <laughs> and it, it's such like a hard left turn from the cartoon because it's so serious. Like, Raphael is like, so down and, and angry and then <laughs> it, i i just i had to pick it because it was formative because it's the teenage mutant ninja turtles and nothing says late 80s early 90s more than teenage mutant ninja turtles but it's so different from the cartoon to this movie and then watching this movie at age 40 with my own kids going wow there's a lot of stuff in this movie that would not fly today and, and just the difference is like I think in the cartoon, right, like like Foot Clan were like robots. It was ambiguous what they were. It's kind of like the uh, the putties in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. They were like right. like humanoid ninja beings, like right. So the the Foot Clan in this is just a bunch of like ninja kids, and they're like shoplifting things. Yeah, and like Shredder's in it, and he's kind of he's scary. He's he's menacing, mm-hmm. but as a kids movie now, like it's 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 rough but the the turtles like the actual turtles in the movie are crazy i mean they they, they're they're realistic they're lifelike i was just reading it's one of the last things jim henson's jim henson did before he died Hmm. because they were made in the the henson creature shop and it's very adult and it was so different from the cartoon it's kind of like the masters of the universe movie with Dolph Lundgren, because it has some of the similar things yeah but like you're as a kid when this movie came out it had some of the familiar stuff but then it had you're sitting there in the theater like where's krang right where's the the terror drone where's that stuff like they don't have the party wagon they don't have the blimp like they didn't have any of the toys there's no baxter stockman there's no usagi jimbo right 
just it didn't have it had some of it but it didn't have all of it yeah and again it's 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 a dark flick they even add characters like who would you figure that they would fight before shredder if you were watching like the cartoon you would probably see who who the duo oh bebop and rocksteady exactly so that was a huge part of the cartoon they were just this ongoing duo of enemies that they would always face but instead they fought toka and razor no that's that's turtles too is that Turtles 2? Yeah, that's Turtles 2 because they give them the mutagen and then they break through the wall and then that's where Vanilla Ice shows up. Hmm. So in Turtles 1, they're they're fighting the... I don't even know if they're called the Foot Clan in Turtles 1. I know it's Shredder. Maybe it is the Foot Clan, but yeah, no, like that's that's the thing is when they did these movies is you get some of the things you're familiar with, but you're going to mutate these two other animals like the Turtles are and you don't do Bebop and Rocksteady. Like, why? Yeah. Instead, you've got this crazy clawed wolf-looking thing and right. a snapping turtle, I think? Yeah, with like a weird horn shell type thing. Yeah, and I just... It's not... Yeah. But uh, this movie does star a young Sam Rockwell, who you might know from The Time Machine and Iron Man 2. And I'm just looking at here, Skeet Ulrich, the poor man's... Christian Slater and Scott Wolf also appears unnamed members of the foot clan. So some young Hollywood, young nineties Hollywood was in this. Wow. Yeah. I think they were like touching with the original, like, you know how the original comic book was just like black and white with red. Yeah. And I guess it was a little bit more dark. It was, it was more adult. Yeah. Adult. And it's like, they were trying to balance the two universes in a way. I don't know if April and Neil was in the original comic books, but she definitely was in the cartoon. Yeah, I don't know if she was in the comic books either. Didn't Shredder kind of look a little odd too? Yeah, I mean he didn't he was smaller, he had less sharpy things, and he wasn't voiced by Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. So Yeah, totally. It's those things that stick in your mind and like if you get any of the combination out of whack it just doesn't feel the same right but still you're as a kid you're like overjoyed to see your favorite turtle guys running around with pizza i mean right which uh now that i'm thinking about all the pizza in this movie looks awful (laughs) i know it says Domino's, but it looks awful was this not the same year that tmnt had their uh coming out of the cheryl's tour with pizza hut that might have been 91 91 yeah i think it was 91 they did that I have that tape floating around somewhere. Totally. But yeah, it was definitely the age of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's for sure. Yes. All right, do you want to do yours? All right, so for my first pick, I wanted to talk about Edward Scissorhands. It was a notorious fantasy romance movie directed by tim burton it starred johnny depp one writer diane weiss anthony michael hall alan arkin and it was also the last appearance for the horror movie legend vincent price who died in 93 and basically it was a creative bedtime story retelling of frankenstein and the script mirrored tim burton's own issue with his own awkward sense of social life 
If you haven't seen the movie, essentially Johnny Depp plays a harmless humanoid named Edward. He was created by his inventor, which was Vincent Price, with scissors for fingers in place of real hands, which he intended to find later, but he unfortunately suffered a heart attack, leaving Edward to live on his own. And he was found alone by an Avon saleswoman who takes him into her home. And eventually a love affair starts between the saleswoman's daughter and him. And it's a big Shakespearean sort of tale in between there. All all set amongst the backdrop of what I believe Tim Burton said was supposed to be his home of Burbank, California. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's why all the houses look like that is that's what Burbank and Glendale looked like. I, didn't they film it in Florida? Probably. That's what I heard anyway, but I don't know. But yeah, I thought it was a unique visionary movie. A lot of people feel that Tim Burton is kind of a polarizing director. You either hate, hate him or love him. I mean, this movie helped define the legendary director's style, though. Um, Edward's hair was actually based on Robert Smith, which I heard as a trivia. It, yeah, you... you... It's pretty close. Well, Tim Burton's hair looks like that a lot, too. Yeah. I mean, it it was supposed to mirror, like, his actual, like, awkwardness in life. And and he did those really creepy drawings. He was really good at a visionary artist style that he had some creepy drawings drawn up about him that were straight out of a five-year-old's nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) It reminded me a lot of, have you ever seen Benny and June? The Johnny Depp movie? Yes, yes. It reminded me so much of that same, like, clownish sort of miming acting style. Acting without words. Yeah, acting without words. He hardly had any dialogue in this. And when he, and when he does talk, it's like, I, I just, uh, it, Right. Uh... Which, I mean, it's very, like, Crispin Glover acting. Hey, you, get your damn hands off. But I thought it was funny because they were they were considering so many different weird people to play Edward Scissorhands, including Jim Carrey, Gary Oldman, Tom Hanks, um, Robert Downey Jr., and even Michael Jackson. There would be some stunt casting. I mean, just odd. Like my, Tim Burton and Michael Jackson just alone would like kind of blow my mind. I love you, Renato Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you play with my monkey, Winona? <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because Winona was actually considered going to Godfather 3 to act in that, but was taken away and chosen both by Johnny Depp and Tim Burton because I guess Winona was dating Johnny Depp. Probably. So she could have been in Godfather 3 and said she chose almost a, uh, a long-standing role with Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. And Tom Cruise actually became a really close runner-up for Edward Scissorhands, too. I could not see that. Uh, Yeah, just odd. But I found it sentimental and nostalgic for so many that saw the movie back then. And even if you were a Tim Burton fan later on, you could go back to it very easily because he continued that style for a very long time. It was released a day before my 10th birthday. Just had to note that. Oh, special, special. (laughs) I love it because so many goth industrial kids took Edward's clothing as legitimate daily fashion choices. And still do. Yeah, still do. You'll still see at least one DJ. I saw at least one DJ 
be Edwards as a hands for at least three years running. Like, I don't know if that's just his thing or what. It takes all kinds. Yeah, it takes all kinds. <laughs> it, it rates 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's thoroughly fresh if you follow those those analytics. It's one of it's one of Tim Burton's better movies. Yeah. There's really nothing to hate about it. It's it's a very innocent movie. It's it's just like throw it on. It's no big deal. I mean there is like a death scene, but for a good amount of it it's like a Shakespearean tale. Right. It's yeah. Well let's let's talk about real quick Anthony Michael Hall playing against type and going from nerd to resident D-bag. Right. He was like the bully. He hated everything about Edward Scissorhands. He wanted him out of the picture. He'd come a long way from the breakfast club. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a good stretch for him. So we have a guest that wants to talk about Edward Scissorhands or what? Yes, we do out there in podcasting land we're going to talk to aria who is my oldest kid and she really likes edward scissorhands but she's so she didn't exactly see this when it was new cool so aria come up to the mic and tell us what you like about edward scissorhands what i like about edward scissorhand is that i think it's really different than other movies that we have today i like that it's an older movie Mm -hmm. and that it's just really different now do you think it holds up like would would other kids your age like this movie um yeah i think other kids would like this movie even though it's older yeah i think other kids would really like the movie and do you like the way edward scissorhands looks because he's like dark and scary and pale um yeah kind of he's a mysterious character what do you think of of the guy who made Edward Scissorhands? I think that he was a genius that he could think of something that big to make like someone really talk, like make a human. Interesting. Now, my favorite part of Edward Scissorhands, or at least the part that sticks out to me more than the fake snowstorm, is the haircutting scene. Do you like the haircutting scene? I love the haircutting scene. You like? Do you like the girl that plays Edward's love interest? Yes, I think she's a nice girl because Edward thought she was and her boyfriend wasn't a good influence on her. So, uh, so I think she is good. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Now at the end, they don't stay together at the end, right? Yeah, no. Okay. So Arya, do you think it would it would be better if it had a happy ending, or do you like the more tragic love story aspect of it as a ten year old girl? Um, I like the way it ended. I think it didn't need to be happy or anything. I think Edward was more safe be up in his house or hour. Okay. Well, that has been Does It Hold Up with Aria, which look for her more input as we expose her to more movies from the 90s and see if they actually do hold up or if kids today just don't get it. <laughs> I, I have a question for her, though. Oh, question. Question from a co-host. Go ahead. Who who do you think would be a good Edward Scissorhands today? Like one of your favorite actors or... Um... Probably someone 
from High School Musical, the series? No, they're too cheerful. <laughs> um, someone that's like a darker character or they played a darker character in movies. Yeah. Okay. Names though? Do you have a favorite actor that you would want to see play that? No, all the actors I like aren't really like Edward Scissorhands. So. Right. When out, if you were recasting Edward Scissorhands today, would you put Olivia Rodrigo in as the place of Edward's love interest? Yes, probably because I think that she is a cheerful person and I feel like she would be nice to Edward. Olivia Rodrigo or Dua Lipa, though? Um, Olivia Rodrigo. Okay. Nice. So if redo it for today, they might have to put in a musical number. <laughs> they turned it into a musical eventually. Oh, God. Why? Yeah, it was, it was more like a dance show. It was really weird. Okay. All right. Do you have any more questions? No, that was awesome. I just wanted to add that Amber Heard recently reminded us, post-trial with Johnny Depp. Says the lawyer for the man who convinced the world he had scissors for fingers. <laughs> So, so that's, that's what that is. That's how they get a 90% of Rotten Tomato. All right. We're coming up. This one I picked just for it's, it's over the top nature. So my second pick was RoboCop. Sweet. I don't have like, I didn't see RoboCop 2 in the theater. I'm pretty sure I saw it at my aunt's house up in Bakersfield because she had HBO and she would record movies and she put like two or three movies on a VHS tape. So we had like, it was like Young Guns and then RoboCop 2. And I'd already seen RoboCop 1 and then I saw RoboCop 2. RoboCop 1's great. It's got, it's another Paul Verhoeven movie, which same director we talked about with Starship Troopers. And RoboCop 1 has got its own subtext and whatnot. Mm. RoboCop 2, a little more straight-ahead action movie, but it, it carries on some of the ridiculousness of RoboCop 1 and the over-the-topness, the over-the-top nature, and the, the hyper-violence. And again, here's another thing that, that a 1990s movie could get away with that you probably couldn't get away with today. The main like drug kingpin in this flick is like a 10-year-old kid. <laughs> And he is, I mean, he's got an attitude and just, he is awful. And then, like, he dies. Like, they killed the drug kingpin kid. Like, it's crazy. Like, you couldn't, I was just watching this. I watched this not too long ago when we were all locked down for COVID and I couldn't go to the gym. And I worked out in in the closet of one of the kids' rooms with the TV. And I rewatched this. And I'm, like, finishing up my workout and I'm like, they really kill this kid, right? And like the kid dies, and like RoboCop's like holding his hand. <laughs> it's 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 bonkers. It's pretty dark. It is dark. <laughs> and what I like about I think pretty Ed Two Hundred Nine is in this one, and it's got this this drug dude Kane, and they put like Kane's consciousness into a robot, and the robot runs off the drug that they're trying to get off the streets. So they have like this these big cylindrical tubes of this blue stuff that they shove into the robot and it gets all spun out. (laughs) It's always blue. It was blue or red. It's called nuke. And it's like, they, it's like this little snap packet. You put it to your neck. It's like, but I just, I think it's fun. And I like RoboCop. I like the hyper violence of it. 
And then when I was doing a little bit of digging on it, so RoboCop 2 is directed by Irving Kirshner. Irving Kirshner. Now, kids, let me tell you why that's important. Irving Kirshner directed possibly one of the greatest movies of all time, which is The Empire Strikes Back. If it's not one of the greatest movies of all time, it is the best Star Wars movie out of all of them. Also, dig a little deeper. Story. So RoboCop 2, other than, aside from the the, re- the super crazy violence and the catchy one-liners, I'll buy that for a dollar, and the child drug dealer, is story and screenplay by Frank Miller. Now, for those of you who are going, where have I heard that name before? Frank Miller is the writer responsible for The Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. the probably most famous Batman graphic novel of all time, if not one of the most famous graphic novels of all time, right behind like Watchmen. He also wrote 300, which got turned into a movie by Zack Snyder. Hmm. He wrote Sin City and he did some of the Daredevil stuff that they are now using for the TV show. So you got Irving Kirshner, you got Frank Miller. Peter Weller is back as the titular RoboCop. But again, I wouldn't say the villains are as memorable as RoboCop 1, where you've got Kurt Wood Smith as Clarence Boddicker. Cops don't like me, so I don't like cops. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have the guy melting in acid, but it's, it's big, it's dumb, it's fun. The mayor of Detroit is over the top. What I like about RoboCop 1 and RoboCop 2 is it is so over the top. Right. If it's not the gory violence, it's the kid drug dealer. Mm-hmm. It's the robot that runs on drugs. I mean, that's yeah. imagine if we had we had made a robot who, in order to function, you gave him like a brick of, of heroin. Right. Because that's basically what they're doing. It's like Bender from Futurama that runs on beer. But this is like a robot that runs on heroin. It's a bit wacky shack if you really start thinking about it. But just it's enjoyable all around and it, it has if i'm remembering it correctly it doesn't have like the weird sentimentality that robocop one has like where he goes driving around yeah uh, maybe that's robocop right. too but anyway i i just really like robocop too it's fun yeah robocop 2 i can't re- i can't distinguish it between robocop 1 and my mind but i mean it sounds like a pretty faithful watch if you like the first one yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's nothing, you know, it's not earth shattering. It's more of the same. He's a cop, he's a robot, and he shoots people. You know what you're getting. Well, this one, it, you jump right into the story, though. You don't get the origin story. You don't get the whole him. Yeah, like the impact and the tragedy of, you know, the first movie is kind of lost. So you're just kind of going from where he started off from the last movie, right? Yep. We're just yeah. We're just picking up where the last one left off. Oh, right. here's a fun thing, though. I had forgotten about this. So RoboCop 2, to promote this, RoboCop put in an appearance at a WCW pay-per-view event, <laughs> right? Where Sting, and this is before he was Crow Sting, this is right. like like Stinger Splash with the loud makeup and the neon pants. Yeah. So Sting's put in a cage, and RoboCop comes and saves him. Uh. This is awesome. If you haven't seen it, look it up on YouTube. It is hilarious. Like, dude comes out in a RoboCop costume and, like, eek! And, like, rips the door off this cage and, like, throws it down and Sting gets to come out. Like, high-fives RoboCop or something. Wow. 
It's hilarious. <laughs> it is hilarious. That's uh, was that owned by Ted Turner, WCW? Yeah, yeah. Yes, it was until until Vince McMahon bought it. Mm. So RoboCop Two was my second pick, if for no other reason than I like big dumb action movies. Yeah, totally. That's all. Like ninety was full of them. All right, for my second pick, I'll back to back your your Verhoeven um, original feel with Total Recall. Um, this was a disturbing sci-fi action film directed by Paul Verhoeven, also known for the aforementioned Robocop and Showgirls. Also Basic Instinct, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Basic Instinct too. He He... He had a very odd collection of movies that he was able to direct. This was based on a 1966 short story, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, horrible name, by Philip K. Dick, the classic writer of other stories adapted into 13 other screenplays for movies, such as Minority Report, A Scanner Darkly, and the beloved Blade Runner. So the idea for the movie was kicked around in Hollywood since the mid-70s, and the idea of the lead role was supposed to be like an everyday man. And so they looked at actors like Christopher Reeve or Jeff Bridges before they settled on Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because he is he's an everyday man. Right. I mean he's he's won Mr. Olympia six times. <laughs> he is the every man. Yeah, every every man is exactly like Schwarzenegger. And it's funny because once Verhoeven was picked up as the director, he loved Schwarzenegger so much. He even uh, considered him for the RoboCop role originally, but um, that would be a very different movie in a way. Get alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> exactly. It's been noted, I, I had to get some perspective from other podcasts about Total Recall because it's been such a long time since I'd seen it. And they kept mentioning like how Schwarzenegger can't act himself out of a paper bag. It, like he's just not known for emotional acting. And unfortunately, this movie is just filled with plot twists that have him sort of confused and loving in a romantic way towards a woman that's not his wife. Uh, a, a really, before she got big, Sharon Stone, who would later go on to star in Basic Instinct. Yeah. But this was one of her initial breakout roles was this and uh king solomon's minds which is an 80s flick kind of indiana jonesy hmm. but she um you know the it's funny because it's a it's a direct influence on the matrix the story has you wondering whether you're watching something that's in a dream or if you're watching something in real life through in, an implanted memory um to make more sense basically the movie is about Schwarzenegger's character wakes up from a recurring dream where he's a secret agent sent to live on Mars with a beautiful brunette. And one day when he wakes up, he sees an ad for a company called Recall that promises to implant memories in your brain that make you feel like you're a totally different person in a setting of your choice. So, of course, Schwarzenegger decides to implant the memories so that he's living on Mars as a secret agent. And, you know, which is odd because... He's having this horrible nightmare dream about it, but he still wants the memory even playing in his brain. Like he's an actual secret agent. He goes on to 
find that he's actually not himself. He has a different name and he actually is a secret agent and he's fighting a tyrannical ruler on Mars called Velos Cohagen. Cohagen. <laughs> so in the words of Freddie Mercury, is this the real life or is this just this fantasy? Did you, what was the other one? Uh, it was Cohagen and uh, not Quan. That's from Jerry Maguire. Qua. Quato. Quato? Yeah, Quato. Quato. Like the the weird um chest rebels. Yeah. Yoda who lives in someone's stomach and like comes out like some sort of weird fetus monster. Yeah, he's like a Yoda character <laughs> in the movie. The movie is bananas crazy. Like it's just you know, has you has you wondering who to root for the entire time because for a moment, Schwarzenegger's character seems like a bad guy, but it's not clear what's going really going on. You're just seeing a lot of action. No, I saw this movie as a kid. Go figure. Uh-huh. It has some nightmare fuel moments. I mean, totally. I'm still petrified to this day that say like when COVID was real impactful in our everyday lives and I was having to go to work and we would have to get tested all the time when they start jamming that thing up your nose I expected them to pull out this giant red thing like from Total Recall right or that Martian dude with the crazy face that has like you know one eye or I mean there is a woman here with three breasts (laughs) (laughs) totally which as a nine-year-old it was like whoa (laughs) Um, we won't see another one of them until Mallrats that was a superfluous nipple oh that's right yeah no, that's close. But like when they're on Mars and the helmet gets cracked and and their faces start like imploding. Oh my god. Yeah. Just like well, actually more like exploding like out of their skull. I want to circle back to your point. Yeah. About about Arnold. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of movies where Arnold's acting chops do not shine. This is one of them. Right. Right. Like, right. very robotic because yeah by the time this came out he was known for like predator and commando he hadn't branched out into other roles where he would get to shine a little bit more but not 90s really but as he's gotten older he's had parts where he's actually really good like the last stand and there's some man who's called the molly hmm. as someone who weight lifts and stuff you know arnold's a, a huge influence on me um, I really like Arnold. Personal issues aside with politics and his many affairs, but sure, you know, he, yeah. And if you've never seen Pumping Iron, you know that that'll get you fired after run through a brick wall. You can take a drop kick. Yeah, no, he's not the best actor in this. In this one, it was kind of funny because he mentioned to Verhoeven that he wanted some very creative kills because he was in Commando and all he got to do was like shoot people down. That's all he used to do. And so then this one, he had like a human meat shield. <laughs> he had just various, I mean, odd scenes of practical gore. And that's what Verhoeven was known for was just his, you know, he was a very artistic guy. He loved the craft of movie making, but he would take it to the ultimate level of just absurd gore and squibs exploding. And this movie is not any different than that. Also in this movie is you've got regular Paul Verhoeven actor, Michael Ironside. Right. Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Ronnie Cox is also in this. He plays another less than scrupulous individual like he does in RoboCop, which is funny because 
Ronnie Cox usually played like good guys, like in Deliverance. Pretty sure he was the police chief in Beverly Hills Cop. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like this in RoboCop, he plays just a real not nice guy. I tried watching this not too long ago. Actually, me and Michelle watched this and it was it's an interesting sit, you know, watching this again. Like, because I remember watching this movie as a kid a lot. You know, some kids watch like Hook. I watched Total Recall, you know, because like, my grandparents lived out in this, this kind of hillsy area of San Diego County and they didn't have cable. They couldn't get cable. So they just had stacks and stacks of VHS movies. And I'd watch Total Recall. And then we had a Nintendo in the other family room and I would play Total Recall the game, which I never beat, was actually really hard. I don't know. This is another movie for me that I'll start watching it and I can smell the cigarette smoke in the room (laughs) and the round table pizza and the Bacardi and Cokes. Like it's so lodged in my brain as as part of my 90s dome to, you know, I'll start watching Total Recall. I'm like, are are those Raleigh's? Are those those Capri 120s? (laughs) Right? Like this and like Return of the Jedi, I'm just like, Oh, oh wow. there's not enough smoke in this room. And it, yeah, it's just weird. But I I like Total Recall. It's not one of my favorite Arnold movies to throw on. I think I'd rather probably throw on Predator or Commando. But visually, it's very striking. Yeah, I mean, like, I never got to see it as a kid, but I've seen the trailers a bunch of times and on, um, like, award shows. It won a special achievement award for visual effects. So its own award in the in the Oscars. It was one of the first to use CG for the little skeletons that were running through the the airport X-ray machine. That's such a cool scene. That was one of my favorite scenes. It's one of the best scenes in the movie, and it's one of the best parts of the Nintendo game. Yeah, but yeah, you already mentioned the little device that Schwarzenegger shoves up his nose to extract like a golf ball sized tracking device. Yeah, and then he shoves it in like a Snickers bar, and a rat is supposed to eat it. <laughs> right. Right. There's, I, not finding a lot of truth in this art. Yeah, and I I love the disguise him as like that woman that walks through. Two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. Get ready for a big surprise. Yeah, two weeks. <laughs> yeah, you got Johnny Cap. Right. You got the uh, the guy that pals around with Arnold. I got eighteen kids, man. Just go look up on YouTube um, some of the best scenes from Total Recall, and you'll find all these things that we're talking about. It's just a very visually striking movie. Again, it's a, a, a the theme of all the movies that I picked out was they're very distinctive. Yes, they all have a very distinct visual style. Here's a fun fact. I don't know if you remember this. We're going to go way back here. So in seventh grade, I want to mm-hmm. say seventh grade, we took the boat trip to Catalina. Yeah, with your comics. You remember this? Yeah, I know. One of them had a banana smear on it for another 20 years. So I don't know if we were on the boat to get there or if it was one of the people at the camp we stayed at but i remember them telling us that they had actually filmed part of total recall on catalina island and they had dyed like the rocks red to get that martian red landscaping or landscape Hmm. i I don't know why i remember that but it just sticks out because i I was probably one of the few kids on that boat that'd been like, oh, I've seen Total Recall. I know exactly what they're talking about. That's crazy now that I can almost see Catalina Hills. Yep. Like in some of those scenes, it's really interesting. I thought they were all like color corrected or something and just, you know, like a red wash. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure 
some of that is color correction yeah. or a filter. Right. But yeah, that was one of those that just sticks in my mind from 1990. I had to mention it and that's all I really have to say on that. All right. Well, rounding out my top three is a, is a quaint little family picture that I remember seeing the trailer for, for some movie. I don't remember what I was seeing. I used to go to the movies a lot when I was a kid. But my third movie is 1990s Space Fun little story about four Martians that crash land on Earth in some backwoods farming town. And hijinks and hilarity ensue. One of them is very serious. One of the Martians is very serious. And one of them... (laughs) Yes! One of them has the worst Jack Nicholson impersonation you will ever hear. But the whole movie, he talks like... He talks like Jack. And it's just... It's... It's a weird transition period because it's it's a it's a touchstone movie. So touchstone, if you don't know, is called by Disney. So this is when Disney was doing more films not under the Disney name, so they wouldn't have to worry about catering directly to the Disney family audience. But this is this is one of those 90s kids movies. I haven't shown it to my kids yet. I watched the trailer for it yesterday and a lot of it came flooding back to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I showed it to Michelle, my wife. She doesn't remember seeing it, which I'm not surprised. I remember going to see it in the theater with my dad, and my my old man is notorious for falling asleep in movies, and he did. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of my '90s experiences with him is just me sitting there watching the movie and him sleeping. <laughs> Good. But I, I I never forget the alien that sounds like Jack Nicholson, and there's a young lady in it. And <laughs> it's Halloween, right? That's part of the gag. Is they think these Martians are kids in Halloween costumes. Mm. And so this one young lady is dressed as the alien from alien. Like that's her Halloween costume. Crazy. And I was just looking through some notes, see more bit players and character actors in this movie, but the crazy old guy in this movie is played by Royal Dano. And for those of you out there that are Disney parks nerds, you would know Royal Dano is the voice of Mr. Lincoln from Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln at Disneyland. So there's two things tied in together. But overall, like Nate picked three movies that are visually stylistic, easy to remember. And for some reason, I was looking at the list of movies from 1990. This one jumped off because I'm like, I remember watching this. And I would see it occasionally on TV after it came out in theaters. But I think it's just a fun, wacky 90s kids movie there's nothing really substantive about it i don't know how many people even remember it ever came out but the one alien that's just doing a poor man's jack nicholson impersonation is still funny to me because he's just talking like that like the entire movie and there's this weird dude who like gets i don't know if he gets brainwashed or gets his mind taken over by one of the martians and he puts on like this black outfit and becomes like super serious he's like half man like half acting like a robot just just an oddball of a movie but you know it's just it's just a fun 90s kids movie and if you've never seen it uh, check it out I'm sure you can find it on all your favorite streaming devices or uh if you know who uh, james rolf is anger video game nerd he covered this movie in one of the monster madnesses from a few years ago uh, so it was nice to see it get some hmm. credit on the internet uh, but yeah that was my that was running out my three was was spaced invaders I don't know. Have you ever seen this movie? I had never heard about it. I missed even the James Rolfe uh, review on it, but 
I mean, it's it's odd. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him because the Space Invaders tie in the name. Yeah, it is named after the video game. Yeah. I was looking at the um, the cover art. It reminded me of something like Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> right. Where you're like, or um, Space Pirates or any of those back in the day. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you've got an hour and a half kill, it's not the worst thing you could watch. Well, my last pick, um, honestly, we both had this in mind. It just came out of nowhere, really. And that was Dick Tracy. And it's a 1930s dark comic strip created by Chester Gould. The character is based on Elliot Ness. And it's basically an excellent follow-up to 1989's Batman movie. Um, It's very similar to a Batman character, honestly. This guy was a yellow trench coat wearing uh, detective. He was like a super detective. And he was avenging his girlfriend's father's death by a crook. Very similar to uh, Bruce Wayne avenging his parents' death. He fights multiple distinctive criminals. As does Batman. And he uses technology and gadgets to stop them. So, Batman again. Um, His key technology that stood out for everybody was his two-way wrist watch and TV, which was really cool. It was way before Apple Watch, so, you know, maybe they were taking something from that. And um, Dick Tracy was just way ahead of its time that way. And I totally guessed on the marketing of the success of Batman, but it was all in Disney's plan all along. And you were mentioning that before we started, right? Right. I went on my Disney rant. So Disney was looking for a Batman-esque franchise. And for some reason, they settled on Dick Tracy. And Dick Tracy was in that weird developmental hell for a while. And I've heard about it on a few shows and read a couple books about the Disney company in the 90s. Warren Beatty wanted to do it, but no one really wanted Warren Beatty to act as Dick Tracy. But they were looking to set it up like that Batman tentpole. And it shares so many similarities with Batman. It's so visual, right? You've got that great art direction. You've got Danny Elfman doing both the score for Batman and Dick Tracy. You've got the distinctive looking villains in Dick Tracy, like you had with Joker in the Batman movie, but you've got Flat Top. Big boy Caprice, Mumbles, Prune Face. What was the one with the big head and the little face? Was it Little Face? Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Flat Top was my my favorite. Just played absolute bonkers by William Forsythe. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I loved Dick Tracy as a kid. I had a Dick Tracy wallet that I had for years. Nice. I had some of the uh, action figures. Mm-hmm. Oh, but Playmates. Uh-huh. I got those up at a Toys R Us in, in Bakersfield. And I watched it... Not too long ago. It still holds up for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's not one I have I've broken out and shown to the kids yet. I hate to say this, and I'm gonna be an old man that shakes his fist at the cloud sometimes, but mm-hmm. my kids, and I think this is a, a generational thing too, they don't quite have the attention span that we did to because Dick Tracy, it's not a fast moving film. And mm-hmm. like I would love to show them Dick Tracy and I would love to show them the Rocketeer because no. I love the Rocketeer. But they're slow and I just I'm not sure if they're ready. 
that's the way the speed was back then. You couldn't right. get anything instantaneously, so you had to like wait. Let's think about your favorite TV show. You had to like be in front of your TV at a certain time, and you had to sit through advertisements to watch the rest of the TV show. You know, there's a lot of just sitting and waiting <laughs> back in the day. And that was cool because you could like have the patience to like actually get involved in the story. Right. Actually, there's more, there's less flash bang and more of like, let's sit with this scene a little bit longer and stuff like that. And you know, it's fight circling back. Disney put a lot of stock into what they were hoping Dick Tracy was going to do. Because if you go back and in 1990, they did this announcement. They, the nineties were going to be the Disney decade. They were going to do all this expansion, and uh, they had a show at Disneyland, the uh, Dick Tracy's Diamond Double Cross, and it was like a musical, what have you. There was going to be a Dick Tracy ride, Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers. It, what, here's the thing, though, is they, they announced all this stuff in 1990, mm-hmm. right? Here's what's coming. And it's like Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers, 1996 or 1997. You're, so you're talking seven years after this movie comes out. And I think it'd be fun to do a show. I'm I'm a Disney nerd, so there's that. It'd be fun to do a show about the Disney decade and all the things that didn't happen. So they were really putting in the hype behind this movie and hoping it was going to be huge because Batman was gigantic. I mean, do you remember like the guy that people were shaving the bat symbol into their heads? Like that's how big it was. (laughs) So they've got, okay, well, what else do we have we got Dick Tracy and we're going to build Dick Tracy up to be this Batman thing. And it, it didn't have the cachet. It didn't have the pull that Batman did, even though they've got the colors, you know, the, the visual style, that's kind of appealing to kids. Yeah. Dick Tracy, I think is a little more adult than Batman. Yeah. It's a, it's like a typical detective out on the, on the beat. It's not like some Cape Crusader swinging through the air right like dick tracy has a wristwatch he can talk to somebody on he doesn't have a grapple gun right. he doesn't have a batmobile he doesn't have a batarang uh, i think there's an often used um scene of dick tracy jumping from a car to another car and it looks like he's barely jumping <laughs> it looks like he's like falling onto a car right you mean there's tommy guns going and the villains look good and this movie has a stupid all-star cast. You got Pacino as mm-hmm. big boy. You've got Madonna. You've got William Forsyth. You've got uh, James Caan, RIP, recently. Mm-hmm. He puts in a cameo. Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick, Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino. The kid, who is just the kid, is played by Charlie Charlie Cosmo, who fellow '90s kids might recognize from Hook. He's the boy in Hook. Yeah. Also, he is, and I can't think of his character's name right now, but he is the one that sings "Paradise City" and can't hardly wait. He can't feel his legs. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, so nice. I I bought Hook, Line, and Sinker into Dick Tracy, and it was just one of those things, man. If you were, and here's an interesting. I don't know if you know about this. Uh, I got this through just internet and uh, a couple other podcasts. So when Dick Tracy came out, it was one of the first movies to do like midnight, a midnight showing premiere, right? That became more the norm when they started redoing the Star Wars movies and everything. But the, the Thursday before Dick Tracy had a midnight premiere and you had to buy a t-shirt 
the t-shirt was your ticket and it said i was there the midnight premiere for dick tracy and you can still find them on ebay it was just like a fun hype building thing but that's that's what they were trying to do with this movie and it didn't do it i think it's worth going back and revisiting because of the way it looks because of the songs and i'm for acting wise this is probably madonna's best acting performance i mean out of all of them she's pretty good desperately Mm -hmm. susan she may or may not have been the blank maybe she was (laughs) spoilers um, I love the action figures. I love the way they look. And yeah, there was fourteen of them. Oh yeah, yeah. I was, just, uh, I was like, geez. In another life, I used to randomly eBay those things, and they, you know, I I would forget, and a few days later, I'm like, oh look, there's a Dick Tracy figure on my door, and now it's on my wall. <laughs> nice. If you're into if you're into collecting '90s toys, though, Dick Tracy is a good place to start. You can get mint on card figures for a reasonable price. You know, we're not talking Transformers or TMT, TMNT prices here. Uh, so if you're looking to start collecting, Dick Tracy's a good place. Yeah, don't don't be like me and have like uh, three or four duplicates of the brow. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's other characters out there. I just wanted to mention that, it, yeah, it was a mature theme movie. So Disney took it under its wing under a Touchstone Pictures label. And honestly, like what was funny about it was that Disney actually gave the deal to Warren Beatty to direct as long as he didn't go over a $40 million cap. And for each like dollar over that amount, it came out of his fee that he was given. And at the end of the movie, after marketing and everything was done, they spent $101 million of 1989 money, which today is $241 million, <laughs> which is more than was spent on the Batman's budget in 2022. So they really just poured into this movie like, like gobstoppers. Like, just, it was crazy. So... I mean, but it didn't have a serial line. There's no marketing like that. They did have a Crime Stopper scratch-off tie-in game from McDonald's. At McDonald's! That, yes. was, that was notorious for having its commercials run like crazy. They were promoting it as like a $40 million win. But, of course, I mean, we know about McDonald's and scratch-offs. Like, who knows <laughs> the, the truth here? Um. Yeah, But the reception of the film was generally positive. 5.9 stars on IMDb, so it's pretty polarizing. And 64% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So not a lot of critics enjoyed it, but they give it a pass because of the creative style. And I actually got into it because at the same time, they were promoting the the old cartoon show that used to run in the 60s on stations like ours, like KOSI. They would play it for kids programs and you got to see the original 60s cast of crazy criminals and villains and stuff which was interesting because they had some offensive stereotypical criminal characters such as joe jitsu and gogo gomez (laughs) so you had some definite racial stereotypes being thrown around that needed a little bit of correction but that's not the only real offbeat part about uh, dick tracy because back in the day when it was a comic book strip there was some surprisingly dark deaths in the storylines for some of these criminals. And if you go look up the YouTube channel, comic tropes, 
he did a wonderful 18 minute long expose like flat top gets stuck underwater and he eventually drowns like the really visually horrible <laughs> deaths back in the 30s in comic book frames so definitely take a look if you want to see what we're working with but it's it's not what you'll see in this movie. They don't die that horrific of deaths. Uh, except except the one guy that gets put in a box and filled with concrete. I think that's Lips Manless. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And actually, his he has concrete shoes as the Playmates toy. That's right. I had that. Ah. So yeah, very dark. But as a kid, you're like, eh, like, you know, that's just how he ends up. But I remember all the hype as a kid, and more than anything, it was all about the weird criminals to me. You mentioned Flat Top, again, with the Batman tie-in. But, of course, Batman wouldn't kill anybody, but Dick Tracy fully would kill people. Well, that's debatable on the, on the back. In, in, the, in, the, in the comic book strip. I'll bring it, I'll say the comic book strip definitely had him full-blown, <laughs> like, to the face, like... It was crazy. Uh, and Dick Tracy had a, a tie-in NES game, which wasn't all that great either. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they did make an NES game. Uh-huh. But they made an NES game for just about anything. True. True. Yeah, honestly, I, I found the character of Dick Tracy to be rather boring. I mean, there was nothing really... like the. It was all about the criminals to me. Yeah. Oh, no. So give me Mumbles... Give me flat top. Give me prune phase. Give me the blank. Oh, any day over Tracy. Yeah, the rogues gallery was much more interesting than the actual main character. Right. You know, you want you wanted to see Big Boy more than you wanted to see Dick Tracy. You want to see flat top more than you want to see Dick Tracy. Totally. And memorable, colorful cinematography, as you mentioned. So yeah, that's that was my third pick, and that's definitely memorable for the two of us of that. But yeah, that just about does it for us. It, the uh boys in the 90s layer as we've collectively known it as for a while now <laughs> the nostalgia dome yeah the nostalgia dome the tech the techno uh, whatever <laughs> so bob do you have the socials that they can find us i do i do and if you don't catch them i've been trying to bury them in the show description so look at there uh twitter we are at boys b-o-y-z capital n the 90s pod gmail is boys in i n the 90s at gmail we're on instagram at boys with a z i n the 90s pod and facebook is boys with a z in the 90s pod we are all there write us in tweet us tag us in your favorite nostalgia related photo leave a facebook comment love to hear from you yeah please tell us how much we're wrong about hating sublime and weezer and um (laughs) How much death, we're death to the blue album, <laughs> and and um, tell us how, how much our picks suck, and um, I don't know. We we want to build a community and and bring us all back to the nostalgia that we love. So we hope to entertain you for a while with some of these memories. And Bob, do you have something to leave us with? Wise men say forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. <laughs>